Darling, I was on a vacation recently and stayed at an Airbnb, and then I realized that while I was away, my empty house could be making money, honey. If you're someone like me that is busy and not home all the time, your home could be an Airbnb. And it's actually pretty simple to get started. Even if you don't have a whole house, you could start with just a spare room. Personally, I really enjoy staying at Airbnbs. I really do. I love a good Airbnb. Who is that? Come back, British you. And it really is a great way to like support local economy and support local people. So Airbnb is fabulous. And I know I was doing my British voice earlier, but we love Airbnb. So think about what you could do with some extra cash. Whether you're looking to treat yourself to something nice, like a shopping spree or a spa day, or start a whole side hustle, Airbnb can help you be that person. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Let's face it. I'm not going to stop treating myself anytime soon, and neither should you. But what I should stop doing is paying for me time with whatever random credit card is in my wallet. NerdWallet lets you compare top travel credit cards side by side to maximize your spending. Some even offering 10 times the points on your spending. So what could future you do with better rewards? Honey, is it like a gorgeous free flight that you would have had to have paid for, but honey, you're saving that flight money? Is it a gorgeous room upgrade? Is it like a gorgeous like two-bedroom suite instead of a one-bedroom suite so your like in-laws or like your friend could stay over there in that room so you don't have to like hear them doing whatever with what they're doing in your your guys' room? Is it like really adulting? Oh, I love adulting. And you know what else I love? is not waiting to make smart financial decisions. I also love paying my credit cards off in full every month because like, yes, good credit. So let's like do try to do that and like making responsible decisions, which we love. Um, But anyway, don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Nerdwallet, finance smarter. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Curious people, how are you, darling? I'm Jonathan Van Ness, and welcome to Getting Curious. Oh my god, was that so fun? It was a new intro. Oh my god, I freaked out. I did it. I went for it. Okay, you guys love it. Ah. Um, okay, I have been curious about... Well, honestly, so much of the source of my curiosity is what I find on my FYP and Explore pages. And one person that I found in the last few years on my TikTok, who I have become obsessed with and love, and I'm so excited to get to talk to her, is Black Forager, honey. She's at Alexis Nicole on TikTok. She is like, for me, she's my queen of foraging. Like, I didn't really understand or really like know about foraging. I wasn't really like getting curious about foraging. And then I find Black Forager and I have been very curious ever since. Now, also in that time, I kind of got into like gardening. Y'all know I got into my garden and I and I found there's just such joy in like growing food, um, eating the food that I grow. But then there's this like interesting gorgeousness with foraging as well. But I didn't really know as much about that. And as I followed Alexis's TikTok, I have just become way more curious about foraging. Like, can I forage? Like, do I need to go out and start like foraging for stuff? It all really came to a head with this like pine cone syrup that she made um, that I am obsessed with where I was like, I think I need to start doing 
this, uh, but also the history, because I'm really curious about the way that Alexis packages history and, and talks about history on her page. Like, I'm very inspired by it. I love it. I love how she tells stories. Uh, but really, I'm asking and curious about today, is foraging for me? Um, so, honey, she's here. Let's get to our conversation. Alexis Nicole Nelson is an American forager and cook. You probably know her on TikTok as Alexis Nicole. I'm so fucking in it. And on Instagram as Black Forager, where she posts videos of her foraging finds, cooking techniques, and historical research. I was minding my own business and found her uh, making these mushrooms, then turning them into these like chicken finger chicken nuggets and i've been obsessed ever since oh and also her historical research in 2022 she won the inaugural james beard award for best social media account james beard 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 Uh, alexis how are you i am so happy to be here i'm well i'm alive alert awake enthusiastic um, also, your barrettes are so gorgeous. And also, we'll just say, because all pets are welcome on this podcast, we are a <laughs> podcast-loving place, and your dog's excited, we're excited, or your neighbor's dog's excited, and it doesn't yes. matter because we love the dog and we're just embracing. That's Colonel Mustard, and he does not know how big or how loud he is. Colonel <laughs> Mustard, cute name alert. Is he a small dog? He's actually a huge dog. He's 120 pounds of I'm scared of everything. It's so interesting. Our biggest, (laughs) we have three dogs and our biggest dog is weirdly our most scaredest. Like she is really scared of everything, but she's the only dog that is not afraid of the vacuum. Like the other two dogs are so terrified of the vacuum. And for some reason, Rose, it doesn't move a hair on her head. She does not care, but that is just what her truth is. Um, but also, you guys, that I like know, makes her a dog superhero. I know That's she's interesting. Amazing. We all have our strengths, but also, oh my god, my ADHD. <laughs> no, I'm gonna. I can. I'm like, do I want to ask you about like how you became a forager, or do I want to talk about foraging more broadly? I think I, I think I had that plan for later, but I think I need to know now. How did you? So you were just minding your own business, and you're like, I want to start foraging. Like, how did it? How, how did <laughs> you become? Wandering a, through the woods. How did you become like a TikTok star of foraging? Oh my gosh. Well, as uh, a lot of us do with many things, I immediately point a finger at my mother and I'm like, you did this to me. So when I was probably four or five years old, I was out with my mother. She's working in her garden. I suspect that she was trying to keep me from being underfoot because uh, four and five-year-olds famously do not have the motor skills to be good at gardening. Mm. And that's okay. We all have our strengths. Yes. We all have our strengths. And that is just not the strength of a four or a five-year-old. So she sent me across the yard and was like, you see that grass that looks different than all of the other grass, which I had never taken the time to notice before. But suddenly it was like she removed a blindfold from my eyes and I did see the grass that looked different from all of the other grass. She's like, go run over there, break off a handful and give it a whiff. I follow her instructions because my mother has never steered me wrong. And this overwhelming scent of garlic and onions just fills up my nostrils and I'm like um excuse me what did you just send me to go get she's like oh those are just those are just onion grass those are yard onions we're gonna chop them up and add them to our dinner that your dad's gonna make for us later and I was like stop the clock who was gonna tell me 
that there's just food hiding everywhere. I thought we had to go to the grocery store. And my mom was like, what? No, there are tons of things out here that you can eat. You can eat dandelions too. And that moment (laughs) set me on my trajectory. (laughs) Wait, so we're eating dandelions? Oh, we are eating dandelions. I mean, if Whole Foods can charge you $10 for a packet of dandelion leaves, you can absolutely go out into your front yard and just eat your own dandies full free. Okay, a penny saved is a penny earned. And that is just something that I'm really finding the more that I get older. And so that... Is cool. So you, so you've been foraging, and like I had a wildflower phase when I was like four or five, and where I used to like make my mom pull over to like let me pick the wildflowers. Like I just thought wildflowers are great, but food is honestly really the gift that keeps on giving and is like truly <clears throat> a little cooler. So you've just been foraging for that long. Yeah, like yeah. So, it's been uh, almost thirty years now. <laughs> I think this is the most important question that I have when it comes to foraging. How do we make sure we won't die? (laughs) Like, I just, you know, I do come from the middle of America. We got those mushrooms. And my stepsister is an aggressive shroom hunter, like, in the woods. Like, she likes those, like, Midwestern, like, chanterelles or whatever. And she has done the wrong kind, not once, but twice. And her and her husband were giving just, like, full emergency they didn't fully emergency room, but they were just, like, shitting their lives away for a whole night. They still love each other, and they still... Love is so strong. Yeah, they still are attracted to each other after those two instances. And just from hearing about it, I was like, and I have like a strong stomach, but I was like, and you relax with that. So, but yeah, how do we make sure that we're safe? <laughs> oh my gosh. Excellent question. Also, so glad that they are okay. I am 100% sure I know exactly what mushroom they picked by accident. And those are jack-o'-lanterns and they'll get you. It is they'll that. They'll get you. And they're they cool because like they glow those- in the dark. They look like them. They're cool because they glow in the dark, hence the name jack-o'-lanterns. But they're not cool because um, they will uh, make you poop more than you thought you were capable of pooping. So, (laughs) because you've been foraging since you were a kid, and I feel like just from following your TT, like, you are foraging all over. Like, you forage, like, like when you travel, like, you're foraging. So, like, if America was, like, well, like, 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 uh, like, our continent... Like, how do, like, the thing, the foods change based off of, like, where you are? Like, is, like, the Southwest yeah. really good for, like, this type of thing? But the Northeast, Ooh. honey, they got those type of things. But right in the yes. middle, they got these types of things. Like, I want to know about that. Every part of the country kind of has specialties that you won't find in other places. Because, of course, everywhere you're going to have things like your dandelions. But... I was just in California, and let me tell you, it is cactus fruit season in the Southwest right now. I'm talking prickly pears. I'm talking barrel cactus fruit. I was having the time of my life. I made friends in Beverly Hills foraging prickly pears because there was a woman who also comes and gets her prickly pears from that garden. We chatted. We kicked It was amazing. I started tearing up because I remembered that foraging really does help build community. (laughs) And so it it just depends. Here where I am in the Midwest, uh, we have these trees called pawpaws. I saw I learned about these on your fucking page. Yes. And they're so cool. They're like a banana mango. They can become humongous. And they're just very particular to certain parts of the country. Off 
the top of your head. I love that I'm giving you so much that's like not on the prep. I'm keeping you on your fucking toes. <laughs> I on love it. You're putting your my improv bones to use. Could you tell me your top either one or three things per area relative like like what are your top three things from like per area that you like really love? Like I've never heard of licorice fern before. I'm just wondering if there's like other, th- and it, it doesn't have to be per area. If I'm just, I mean, I'm like, yeah. I'm really like holding this bar up here. So Jeeva just like, <laughs> you know, it could be like one thing per region or three. Oh my gosh. No, I can, I can give you a couple things per region in the Pacific Northwest. We're absolutely licorice fern is at the top of the list for me. One, it's a fern that climbs trees. I love that mm. for her. They just climb up the little mossy sides of large old trees. And I don't know. It's giving mystical. It's giving magical. Is it it's purple? It's giving fairy princess. It is not purple. But they're these cute little fern fronds that just bloop right out of the moss. And they're just like, hi, hello. I'm here. It's nice to see you. And how do you if prepare you them? My, oh, my gosh. Their roots have that licorice flavor. So you can use the roots to flavor dishes. And even just chewing on them while you're on a hike, they taste so sweet. Fresh off fresh off the tree. Last year when I was in Oregon and I was going on a little hike a on my own, I just had a little piece like hanging out of my mouth like a farmer does with a little piece of wheat, <laughs> feeling all good about myself. Yes. <laughs> Is it purple licorice tasting or red licorice tasting? It, it is purple licorice tasting, which I know is not everybody's jam. No, but, but not everybody people is really down swear by it. People like oh, it a I lot. I love it. Yes. And it like fools your tongue into thinking you're eating something really sweet, even when there's no sugar present. And I just think it's trickery should be awarded. It's it's a magician. Yeah, it we doesn't fool me. Her. It don't fool me. <laughs> Um, but for the people who it does, I do think I was over here. I was like, Oh my God, a red cherry licorice flavored root. I'm in. You lost me. You're like, you got me. And then you're like, Oh, not Twizzlers licorice. I, and I am back out. I didn't know. But you know what? I, I used to not like, um, tomatoes and then I learned to like them. And then I, uh, yeah. So like, I think that we do, I think that we do pick up like new tastes. Like I agree. And I still don't like pickles, but every once in a while I look at a pickle like and I'm like maybe, you know? Maybe. Like and I we that never get you some more fun pickles. I feel like everyone's so in their cucumber pickle mindset, but you can pickle so many things and you can pickle things in so many ways. I mean, once you get into Indian cuisine, you can get into some of those like dry brined pickles. I love a mango pickle, but that's not even what we're talking about. Okay, right wait, now. I do, I do, I do need to stay open. I need to stay open. Okay, what else? What else are like your things from like Southwest MVP? Yeah. Um, in the Southwest, I think that their MVP would definitely be. Mm, oh, this is going to be so tough. I think I'm going to give it to Barrel Cactus Fruit. They're really tart. I like making almost kind of like a lemonade beverage with them. They're real tasty. Like who needs lemons when you can just go and yoink, 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 yoink. So a couple of citrusy? barrel cactus fruit. A little citrusy. Yeah. They're really, mm. they're, they add a nice brightness to any dish that you add them to. I will say though, much like okra, they can also add an element of slippy to a dish, which if you're making a stew, amazing. Yes. But that is a thing you have to keep in mind. 
Okay, so now they also I live candy in, like a dream. What, so like a candied barrel fruit, like little, just like a little chewy thing, like a little chewy snack. Yeah, that's cute. Okay, so I live in Austin, Texas. Is there what like what's our Texas stuff? Like what are we? Oh my about? gosh, Texas has its own persimmon species. Quite literally, the scientific name is Diospiros texana. Ooh. It is the Texas persimmon. And not only... And what do we eat that way? Oh my gosh, you eat them on their own because they taste like candy straight off the tree. I love American persimmons. We have we have a persimmon species up here in the Midwest too, but it is not you guys's. Texas's persimmons also, in a very stylish sort of way, are jet black when they're ripe. And I just think that that is, I think it's cool. Yes. I think it's sexy. We love yes. a little black dress moment. Yes. And I am infinitely jealous whenever your persimmon season rolls around. What else do we have here that's cool? Oh my gosh. Well, if you're talking about things that you can be foraging right now, uh, I got some intel from one of my Austin friends that your red bud trees are flowering right now. They're beautiful. They're these adorable little pink flowers all over the trees. You eat them and they're lemony. They're just like a pop of sour, sweet goodness in a little pink flower. People make jelly from them traditionally. Ooh. Red bud jelly. Ooh. Oh, and it's amazing. That's <laughs> cool. What about like Great Lakes? Oh, okay. So if we're getting into the Great Lakes region, um, you will have pawpaws around some of the lower Great Lakes. So if you're kicking it near Lake Erie, Ontario, you're still going to be in the pawpaw neck of the woods here in the lower Midwest. But getting up towards some of the Great Lakes heading towards the upper Midwest, you have these really cute things called like bunch berries. And it's like, it looks like a little corsage on the forest floor with a little ring of leaves around it and just a bunch of cute little berries at the center. And I'm obsessed with them. Um, and then uh, and then what about like East Coast? So, of course, on the East Coast, you have your wild blueberries. You have your cranberries. Wintergreen is very abundant. Some people are like, oh, the gum flavor. Yes, that's where it comes from. It's from wintergreen plants. Oh, I know. And they, the berries really do taste like wintergreen gum. A little sweet, a little minty, a little air of mystery. I love it for them. Yes. Stays gorge. Oh, honey, the weather's getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I needed to update my wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune. Luckily, I found Quince. Now I've got a lineup of timeless pieces that keep me looking effortlessly chic year after year. Honey, these premium European linen dresses, blouses and shorts from $30. They're giving you washable silk tops. I love the quality of their fabrics. It really is stunning. Oh my God. The best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash curious for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash curious to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash curious. Hey, it's Jonathan Van Ness. 
Americans United for Separation of Church and State defends your freedom to live as yourself and believe as you choose, so long as you don't harm others. Core freedoms like abortion rights, marriage equality, public education, and even American democracy itself rest upon the wall of separation between church and state. Christian nationalists are attacking these freedoms, seeking to force us all to live by their narrow beliefs. Americans United is fighting back. Freedom without favor and equality without exception. Learn more about AU at au.org slash curious. Now, question, any international shout-outs? Like, we did it in a lot of America, but, like, oh, and also, like, we I didn't ask about Hawaii, like, um, anything yeah. cool, like, just, like, any, like, special honorable mentions, like, if you ever see this, try it. Yeah. You gotta try oh it. Oh, my gosh. So, you mentioned Hawaii. So, here in the... Uh, the lower 48, we have a plant called Black Nightshade. It gets a whole lot of hate because people always assume that it is poisonous nightshade. It's not. It's like a sweeter cherry tomato. I'm obsessed with them. Hawaii has its own species. I'm probably going to butcher the Hawaiian name. I believe it's Popolo. Um, there might be an extra poll in there. Please, like, actually write to me and correct me if I'm wrong because I actually really do want to have this knowledge just stored away in my brain for the future. And their black nightshade berries are a little bit bigger. There's also like the historical practice of eating the greens from them too, which I don't see a lot of people doing here in the States with black nightshade. And I just think that that's really cool. I think the fact that it can also exist in and around like volcanic areas, amazing. Mm. So cool. Black nightshade, though, also is found in parts of Africa, also found in parts of Europe. Um, she's everywhere. She's a very cosmopolitan girly, the members of the uh, Solanum nigrum complex, the group of black nightshades. I love them. They're one of my favorite plants. When it volunteers in my yard, I'm so happy. <laughs> where are all have like have you gotten to do like Australia, like Asia, like where all have you gotten to forage yet? Oh my gosh. So I was just foraging in Japan in the Japanese countryside right outside of Yamanaka Onsen this past fall. And that was amazing. First of all, very obsessed with the literal Japanese translations of so many of the different foods. Also, just love that there is still a pretty strong culture of foraging in a lot of the smaller towns and the countryside areas in Japan. Like when those spring greens are coming up in the spring, it's a big to do to go up there with your friends and harvest some devil's club. Like it's, it makes me so happy. And I got to try some plants that I had never gotten to before. There was like a native species of raspberry. And my friend was just like, yeah, there's not even like really a specific name for this. My mentor was just like, oh yeah, no, that's just a berry you can also eat. And I'm like, oh, to know so many edible things that you're just like, oh yeah, that's just like another one. <laughs> Whatever. That is so cool. So you've done Japan. <laughs> Have you ever I've done Japan. 
I foraged in Finland a couple of years ago during chanterelle and bilberry season. So I'm just skipping through the woods with my basket and just loading up on chanterelles. Bilberries are their version of blueberries and they are delicious. And Finland also has a really strong, like, national, it's part of their national identity is going out with your family in the summer and the fall and foraging and knowing the plants that you can eat in your area. And I love that for them. I need to make it to Australia. Like I, but I know I'll essentially be starting over knowledge wise, just because the plants there are so different. A bunch of our native species I know are invasive there. Prickly pears are one of them. (laughs) So I'd, I'd also go and help with that. I'd be like, let me take all of these guys that work. supposed to be I'll eat this. Here. I got it. I'll eat this. I got it. I got it. I bet Australia has a bunch of really cool stuff. Oh, I can only, I can only imagine. It is it, like tippy top of the foraging bucket list for me. Is there like a ultimate Pokemon card that you've never found? Like you're like, like the ultimate foraging thing that you really want to find, but you've never found it yet. Ooh, hmm, ultimate Pokemon card in foraging. There, in the Pacific Ocean, is a type of edible seaweed that is iridescent blue in the light. And, of course, its name is escaping me right now, and I feel like I've berated everyone with too many scientific names. But I'm like, I'm going to find it. There was a spot, there was a sighting of it just outside of Malibu when I was just in California, but it was so cold. That I was like, I can't get in the water. I will surely perish. I did not bring my wellies all the way out here. So you get to stay a mystery for another however long shiny blue Iridescent seaweed. Iridescent blue seaweed. Cool. Also, yeah. um, just for our American listeners, uh, yes. what about truffles? Like, like, are those like historically found in like Italy or something that people like come to the restaurant and they're like, oh, do you want this freshly shaven truffle for like $800? It's, do, is there American truffles? There are American truffles. I'm so excited that you asked me about this, Jonathan. There is an Appalachian truffle that literally was only discovered and described within like the last decade or so. Is it and the same as an Italian one? Like that same sort of that flavor same, profile? Like, It has that same flavor profile, that same kind of super savory, hyper umami fills up your nose. Um, But they grow in like Appalachia. I was just texting one of my foraging friends, uh, Jeremy, who owns the restaurant Larder in Cleveland. And he was like, look at all of these Midwestern truffles that I just found. And then you, you so, dig them up the same way as like the you, like the pigs in Italy or you whatever. You dig them up the same way, yeah. They're hanging out underground. Yeah, yeah. And how are they made again? We have a couple truffle species. <laughs> what like how do you know like off the top of your head like how truffle like what is that? Is that what it what the what are what are those so, little balls? They're just like they're. <laughs> this is going to sound absolutely disgusting. This is going to turn at least three people off from truffles forever. But they're just little fungus balls. They're just like before that little fungus orb really forms its spores so it can keep spreading. It's just like a hunk of super tasty smelling protein hanging out under the ground. And they tend to associate with different tree species. So they have like a bestie that they're always growing alongside of. And you have to just know those trees to be looking out for. Some people have truffle dogs. I know someone here in the Midwest who just went all the way to Italy to adopt a truffle dog 
to try and, you know, get into this Midwestern truffle game. Yes. So our, our, so truffles are, because we did an episode about mycology and, like, pride of 22 for our, like, Pride in Nature series. And we yes, learned how, because like... because fungi are queer and I love them. So gay, like, gay as fuck. <laughs> yes! You ever own something that inspired you to up your game? We spend so much time in our cars, it's nice to have a car that makes you feel good. It's giving me like, you deserve to take care of yourself, girl. Honey, I just love Alexis because it's giving luxury. It just gives like, nice. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. And the features on this GX, honey? Available dynamic sky panorama glass roof. Available front row massaging seats. Ooh! Available 33-inch all-terrain tires. That's wide! Available multi-terrain select. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Let's face it, I'm not going to stop treating myself anytime soon, and neither should you. But what I should stop doing is paying for me time with whatever random credit card is in my wallet. NerdWallet lets you compare top travel credit cards side-by-side to maximize your spending, some even offering 10 times the points on your spending. So what could future you do with better rewards? Honey, is it like a gorgeous free flight that you would have had to have paid for, but honey, you're saving that flight money? Is it a gorgeous room upgrade? Is it like a gorgeous like two-bedroom suite instead of a one-bedroom suite so your like in-laws or like your friend could stay over there in that room so you don't have to like hear them doing whatever with what they're doing in your your guys' room? Is it like really adulting? Oh, I love adulting. And you know what else I love? is not waiting to make smart financial decisions. I also love paying my credit cards off in full every month because like, yes, good credit. So let's like do try to do that and like making responsible decisions, which we love. Um, But anyway, don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Nerdwallet, finance smarter. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Is there, like, where does someone start with foraging? Like, if you're, like, in a city or something, like, what, like, what's just some things if you're, like, okay, I'm really into this. I want to try it out in my own life. Like, where would they start? Like, what's, like, some easy things most people could find? My two easy recommendations for anyone are get a guidebook that is as specific to your area as you can find. Sometimes it'll have to be a regional one. There's a series of books called the Regional Foraging Series for each of the sections of the U.S., Excellent jumping off point. Sometimes you're really lucky and a conservation society has made a book for your area. My family in Martha's Vineyard, there's a Martha's Vineyard foraging guide that the conservation society publishes each year. So as specific as you can get. And then um, join a foraging Facebook group for your area. Not only will you get to make some friends who might be a little more experienced than you, might be willing to take you out with them, But just seeing the posts in real time will start giving you an idea of what's actually in season 
in your area. It takes so much of the guesswork out of it. And also it builds community. So those would be my two big recommendations for anyone who's just dipping their toes and just getting started. So one thing that you do, Alexis, on your social that I just, I love because it's intersectional and it's like, it's, you're so good at, um, information as well as like storytelling. So you, you share so much about the history of, of, of enslavement of indigenous Americans and the ways that these communities were systematically separated from their connection to food and land. I got to interview Dr. Brittany Jock years ago, um, on getting curious about the ways that like the government disrupted, like, um, food for native American people and like the ways yeah. that they were like separated. Um, but Maybe a lot of people, I mean, that was a long time ago. I could always learn more about what is that indigenous history of foraging and what have you found in your research? And um, yeah, how what have you found in your research? I mean, indigenous people here in North America have and continue to really be like the thought leaders on foraging and how to treat and how to best gather these plants that are native to the States, to Canada, to Mexico. And it really, it's always really heartbreaking looking back and seeing that the United States government was just like, well, if we take food away, nothing gets people under control faster than taking away their sources of food, whether that was through the extreme, like, mass killings of bison across the middle of the country during the 1800s, or whether that is closing off swaths of land as parks, but then saying, oh, it's it's a park, you can't come in here and gather, on lands that for some of these people are ancestral, that their families have been gathering the same foods on for thousands of years, which would lead you to believe that it is possible to do it without permanently altering or disrupting some of these spaces. And so what I thankfully have been finding is that in the last decade, two decades, a lot of parks, uh, a lot of, uh, I mean, we have Deb Holland as the Secretary of the Interior right now, have been moving towards a very Indigenous-inspired and Indigenous-led system of conservation. You're seeing folks like the wagon burners up in the Pacific Northwest leading and teaching people how to do controlled burns because they know from thousands of years of indigenous science and experience that those are the best ways to maintain some of these spaces and to keep a lot of these edible species safe and healthy and coming back year after year. So, so much of the story has been heartbreak for the last 400, 500 years. And I will say it does, it does give me some hope to see the tide starting to change after so much has been done to remove Indigenous people from a lot of the foodways that they taught us. I, a lot of the reasons why some of my enslaved ancestors in Mississippi were able to survive is because some of that knowledge was handed off from indigenous people to enslaved black people on plantations. And what's an excellent way to make the scraps that you were given as a plantation, you know, I don't I want to say worker, but worker would imply that you are getting paid. Uh, the way to help with those rations is by knowing how to forage, knowing how to hunt, knowing how to trap, knowing how to fish. 
And that was a really big knowledge exchange between Indigenous people and Black people. Uh, A lot of Black people also came here with seeds, with beans tucked away to be able to plant here as well. Uh, There are a lot of things like okra that have now very much made their way into American cooking and have become synonymous with different aspects of American cuisine in the Southeast. And I think that exchange of information is so beautiful. It is two groups of people, both of whom have cultures that were so steeped in ritual and knowing the land and knowing the plants and animals around you. One group being taken away from where their knowledge can be applied and put somewhere new. And then a group that behaved similarly being like, oh, we got you. We got you. Like, what do you need to know? We want to help you in the ways that we can. And I think that's fantastic. Granted, of course, immediately after emancipation, uh, people were like, oh, time out. Uh, Actually, we just decided that if you don't own the land someone else does, you are not allowed to forage there anymore. Oopsie poopsie. And those laws spread across the United States and really put Black and Indigenous people... So there was, like, anti-foraging laws? Oh, absolutely. So the way that they structured it is before emancipation, in the United States, trespass uh, was a civil offense. You might get a small fine or a warning, whereas after emancipation and... The thing is, if you go and look at a lot of these documents and meetings and town hall notes, it's people specifically saying, I don't want Black people to be able to gather food on my land anymore. It was totally fine when they were doing all of this labor for me. They're not doing that labor for me for free anymore, and thus it is not fine. So they turn it into a criminal offense. Which also, funny enough, slavery was made illegal except in the case of incarcerated peoples. Which so I learned from was, the 13th with Ava. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh, Never amazing. knew before that documentary. Right? Oh, that documentary, if you haven't, if you're listening and you haven't seen it before, you got to um, have it's seen a it. tough watch, but it's a necessary watch. Yeah. And it was a way to essentially take two groups and further suppress their ability to take care of themselves and their communities. And those laws spread everywhere. Uh, It became a criminal offense, even in the North where slavery had already been outlawed uh, for decades. And those laws are still in place now. Then you have the formation of park systems, both the national parks, state parks. And for a lot of those spaces, they also did not want you foraging. They wanted a more hands-off type of conservation. And so suddenly, if you're not a landowner, especially if you're a person of color who's not a landowner, you're like, well, wait a second. Before, I could gather food in all of these places. And now you're telling me that I can't and that I could get arrested or even worse, I could get killed by going and trying to get these same pieces of food And so it really makes sense that a lot of that knowledge fell away from different indigenous communities and black communities pretty quickly over the course of about half of a century. So it's, it's wild. We got to learn from Dr. Elizabeth rule years ago about how, about the blood quantum, which I had never heard Mm -hmm. about before, or like I had Mm -hmm. no idea what that was, but like that was the government, like, 
also trying to make like distrust and like try to like make yeah, make it so that like Native tribes. Am- yeah, like make it so exactly. that like Native American people and Black people like it's like well if you do have kids with a Black person well then your kid won't be able to well, be in the tribe kid- and exactly you, and you can't like access the benefits or like the sovereignty if you aren't a citizen of the if tribe. If you aren't a tribal citizen, exactly. So it really was a way to like separate, like divide, conquer. Like I can't even believe that like the blood, it's like, talk about compartmentalizing. Like, I feel like- Oh my God, I know. It's like, cause I mean, I think, I think they still exist. Oh, I have friends who have fractions on their tribal citizenship cards. And it's, it's wild to me. Now, of course, the other side of that coin is you don't want people claiming that ancestry who don't have a place to, who do not have the cultural ties, were not raised within the culture. But it also feels so scary, and I'd say post-apocalyptic, except it's already happening now, uh, to give the government, especially the government of 100 or so years ago, who famously was awful to Indigenous people, the power to be like, oh, well, we're just going to go ahead and determine how indigenous you Yeah, because are. it's like if you didn't qualify or whatever 100 years ago and you got outed then. Oh, it's it's ter- It's kind of terrifying. And a lot of people probably have like lost ties of their ancestry just because they didn't have a family member who happened to be on the roll when the United States government decided, okay, we're taking the roll right now. Right. Right now. And, and that's it. It's... Uh, the government really uh, is just not doing it. <laughs> not doing it. And even now you have communities that are primarily Black or have been historically poor in cities that in areas that were previously redlined where we have no tree canopy. So if you were, say, going to be getting free food from trees in your neighborhood, uh, congratulations, you don't have them. That's just simply not even an option for you. So some of, and a lot of those areas are also food deserts. So wouldn't it have been amazing if there was at least access to some free food in addition to all of the other benefits that having a diverse amount of trees in your neighborhood brings, like temperature modulation, so not having to spend as much on your heating and your cooling bills, like people people die from communities getting too hot in the summertime, especially as the world is getting hotter. So it, it continues in a way to this day. And Yeah, everyone, some people get really mad when reparations get mentioned, but I'm like, at this point, what other than money is going to even begin to fix the problems for our indigenous community caused by treaties being ignored? Uh, For black folks, especially the ones who were promised things like 40 acres and a mule. That never happened. Nothing. Never happened. That's the other thing. I really feel like most people are like, oh, well, like these people did all of this work for free and then they were promised 40 acres and a mule, but then that didn't happen because Lincoln got shot and then fucking Jackson came in and then he like rescinded all of that. So what gives? And we did give free stuff to all the people in the West who like moved out West. Like didn't all those people get like free land? Just swaths of land freshly taken from indigenous people 
So apparently some people could get land. In fact, some of that 40, 40 acres in a mule land just ended up being given back to white farmers. Yeah. And it's like then like Yellowstone, we like romanticize it and we're like, oh my God, they had it really hard, but we don't think about like, yeah. It's sometimes yeah. when I realize that we also get a lot of North Korean propaganda, but in our own way, I'm like, oh no. Uh, right. When we're like, oh, Mount Rushmore was actually a sacred place beforehand and then we just went and carved these dudes faces into it oopsie sometimes i just think i'm a full westworld robot where like sometimes the thing is so bad like it's so it's like i can't see it i don't hear it i I don't even i don't see it like i like i know that's like not the right approach but like just so that you don't just like sometimes you just and we're always fighting against it, feeling numb after just being overwhelmed with all of the injustices that you know have happened and continue to happen to Alexis, people here. <laughs> is there a forged powdered donut? Is there a way that we could forge Ooh. for powdered donuts? Like, is there just like something naturally occurring powdered donuts that we could? Because that's what I usually do when I get this depressed. Um, I could tell you some things to forage with which you could make a powdered donut. So How? for starters, I would start with some acorn flour because while it doesn't have the gluten that you're going to get from wheat flour, you absolutely have enough starchiness to kind of like hold a loaf of something together. So I would use some acorn flour. I would definitely use a little bit of like a yeast starter of some sort to get it nice and bubbly like you would do for a sourdough. If we were going to be putting a filling in, I am biased as the child of like a born and bred New Englander. I would want some beach plum jelly at the center of my donut. I think that that just sounds chef's kiss, not too sweet, not too tart. In terms of the powdered sugar on top, you would go gather some maple sap, which I have been doing and I'm about to go cook some down right after we're done chatting. Cook it down until it gets to a sugar point. You go until it suddenly starts to crystallize into sugar chunks. Run that through a food processor or a a coffee grinder to get it to powdered sugar consistency. Dust that on top of your donut. Serve. My God, I love that. So (laughs) how have you like learned so much? And then how do you take your life and your experiences and what you've learned and then put that into your social media? Because I mean, your social media has blown up so much in the last few years. It's like, how do you stay connected to yourself? Like what's... um, what is like your fellow like foraging community been like on there? Like, uh, how do you handle yeah. like the positive, the negative, just this life that you've created? How how has it been over these last few years? It's definitely a tough balancing act. And my therapist Cynthia, she gets <laughs> to hear from me all the time. Yeah, my girl Marty. Therapy's amazing. I would recommend it to. <laughs> I would recommend it to literally everyone trying to exist in this world that we are in right now. So that's a big part of the the self-care puzzle while being a person who is very online. I have to constantly remind myself that everything that I do doesn't have to be content. Uh, you know, I made my really fun maple syrup video, but you know, this afternoon, me and my friends are just going to have a fire in the backyard, cook down some sap, maybe make some s'mores and catch up. And that doesn't need to be content. That's just, you know, filling your cup. 
that's just community. That's just, you know, a beautiful moment. And reminding myself of that helps me stay pretty even keel. Also, spending time outside is always good for my mental health. So the fact that that is intrinsically linked to what my job is now is huge. It it makes so much of a difference. You have a cookbook coming out. When does it come out? What are your favorite recipes? When can we buy it? Tell us everything. Oh my gosh. So we are going to be waiting just a little bit longer. We're shooting for about this time. Yes, queen. A smidge earlier than this time next year. So people can have it in their hands and start getting ready for the spring. The recipes in it that are my favorite, I'm obsessed with the acorn bacon. I love it both from a flavor standpoint and a food science standpoint. I think it's a really, cooking it is a really great lesson in both how starches work and how sometimes you just need to trust the process. (laughs) Ooh, what's the meat of the bacon? Is it like the acorn? It's the acorns. You take acorn starch, you maybe mix in a little liquid smoke, some salt, a tiny dash of maple syrup. I sometimes even add a little bit of powdered mushroom powder, a little powdered puffball mushroom for extra savoriness. You make a little slurry with it, you pour it into a pan, it gets hot. First, it becomes like a crepe, and then you cut it into slices, and then you add a tiny bit of an oil of your choosing, and then it just crisps up like a piece of bacon. Uh, Ed, you can put that on your BLTs, on your breakfast bagels. It's so surprising. And of course, you know, I I know that it is not exactly like bacon, but I'm like, but it's salty and it's savory with a tiny dash of sweet. You can make it a little bit smoky. It really does serve a lot of the same purposes on a sandwich. I still eat meat alternatives all the time. Like, even though I'm not vegan There's so many good ones So tasty. Yes. I'm into it. I'm here for it. I love it. Yeah. And we can, like, harm reduce. Like, it's like, I still do, I'm still Naughty Girl sometimes. It doesn't have to be, like, Always. But it doesn't have to be always. Yeah. We're all just making like informed decisions. We're all just trying to do the best we can. I just had the most fun time, Alexis. I, like, where can people, you're oh. the most, you do a lot of TikTok and Instagram. You're pretty like. I do. Even Steven I on do. both of those. I am. I try to, I try to be on both frequently. Uh, I'm on TikTok at Alexis Nicole. And that is Nicole with a K. Thank you, mom. Uh, And I am on Instagram as Black Forager. Because when I made that page like five years ago, I didn't really see anyone else who looked like me in the foraging space. So I chose Black Forager. Do you, well, actually, before we end, um, let's actually go back there for a minute. So you have, like, have you, has like Black Forager, I love that handle. Have you, as you've been become more visible in this public figure who's really like become like the preeminent like foraging queen on the socials, um, is there like, have you seen more people where you feel like you have like, because I feel like you've like really been on the forefront of like making foraging like a thing on social. Do you feel like you've made the community more diverse and noticed more people like coming into the fold? I mean, I, I, I never want to say that it was like just me. I like to think that we, I like to think that especially the black community was moving in this direction uh, already before I even started posting about the weird food that I was making to save money right out of college. And I will tell you the experience that spoke to that the most for me, and I'm going to try hard not to be like a weenie and cry about it like I normally do. But I was out foraging in one of my favorite areas of town 
um, just under a year ago. And two teenage girls, both black, uh, ran up to me and they were like, you are the plant lady. You are the reason why I know what this plant is and this plant is and this plant is. And I got to share some of what I was foraging with them. And I was like, oh my God. And imagine if they now go and share this with like their family at home or more of their friends, like having gotten, mm, I am just out here trying to be to the best of my ability, what I wish I had had more of growing up. Um, Because thankfully both of my parents were really outdoorsy, but I also know that for, for boomers in the black community, like that's, not the norm. I I just got very lucky having the parents that I do and not everyone gets access to that knowledge from a young age. So I'm always out here trying to make this knowledge as accessible to as many people as possible. Because uh, it really just, it opens your world up. You never know who's going to need it. Either just for like, you know, the caloric of it all, you know, for the food of it all, or just for feeling like the world that they exist in is a bit grander of a place than they maybe thought that it was previously. So I I like to hope that I have helped the space diversify some, but I, I do think that it was diversifying even before I was yelling at everyone through their phone screens. <laughs> that was such a gorgeous story. And I'm so grateful that you have just brought the fullness of yourself into your work and that you share it so openly. And I just have loved getting to talk to you so much. Thanks for coming on Getting Curious. No, thank you so much for having me, Jonathan. This has been just the peak of my week. So thank you so much. Is foraging for me? Uh, I think I learned that it is. We can absolutely forage. It is also a way to like say, fuck you, capitalism, and, like, save some money. I mean, I love a Whole Foods run just as much as the next person, but, like, let's get our own dandelion leaves. Am I right? Uh, also, I think if if you have listened to this episode and you're like, okay, I also want to forage, what I really heard Alexis say is that, like, it's all about your local community. So finding what is is um, forageable in your community is really important. So whether that is through uh, books and, and the most specific as possible is what I heard her say. Because um, wild food can be approachable. It's gorgeous. Oh, but I also loved how much she talked about that foraging is about community and that it actually like really helps to build community. <clears throat> and I do think that like so much so many of us are suffering from loneliness. And um, I feel like when we lived in New Orleans, just taking our dogs to the dog park, like it, we met so many great friends in New Orleans that really just, we loved and we, you know, would go out for drinks with and go meet. And so if foraging is a way that we can meet people and get more community, I just love that. And I think that's beautiful. And I think it's, it connects us to the earth and each other. So I just, I took a lot from that piece. I thought it was really beautiful. Um, I think some of the most uh, interesting takeaways was is that like prior to the um, emancipation and the Civil War, trespassing was like a civil thing. It wasn't a criminal thing. And so that I thought was really interesting around like when when I thought about like looking at those orange trees as a kid, it's like, oh, you better not take one because that would be stealing. But it's like, we don't have this like community oriented way of feeding people and providing for people. Um, it's just like, you know, very commodified. It's mine. I grew it. That was my water. That was my stuff. 
Um, and I think that the timetable of that was really interesting. Also thinking about the ways that redlining affected food, like no shade canopy, like just no trees. Like we weren't really thinking about like making uh, communities that were affected by redlining, like more accessible for food. So I thought that was really interesting um, and devastating. And also, how come churches don't pay no fucking taxes? That's what I'm curious about too. And do all churches and all the other countries not pay taxes? Because if so, I'm starting heretofore the Church of Dick, where we celebrate Pinus and we don't pay our taxes while we celebrate Penis. And I'm also curious about did Kim Carter or did did Chris K really start? Did you guys see that TikTok where Chris K started her own Church of of California? Did she, did they really do that? Because I think we all need to start a church of DECA. Um, okay. Those are scintillating. Are we loving the new structure of getting curious, you guys? I know I am. Um, Key, love you guys so much. If you loved this episode, how has U.S. disrupted Native American food sources with Dr. Brittany Jock? Great listen. Whose land is this land with Dr. Elizabeth Rule? And also, what happened to the racist Confederate fucks after the Civil War with Dr. Eisenhower Ramirez? Uh, we love you. Thanks for listening to Getting Curious. We'll see you next week. Bye. You've been listening to Getting Curious with me, Jonathan Van Ness. You can learn more about this week's guest and their area of expertise in the episode description of whatever you're listening to the show on. And honey, there's more where that came from. You can follow us on Instagram at CuriousWithJVN. We are doing the most over there and it is so much fun. You can catch us here every Wednesday. And also make sure to tune in every Monday for Pretty Curious. Still can't get enough? Subscribe to Extra Curious on Apple Podcasts for commercial-free listening and our subscription-only show, Ask JVN, where we're talking sex, relationships, and so much more. Our theme music is Freak by Quinn. Thank you so much to her for letting us use it. Our engineer is Nathaniel McClure. Getting Curious is produced by me, Chris McClure, Julia Melfi, and Allison Weiss, with production support from Julie Carrillo, Ann Curry, and Chad Hall. 